listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews of people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 265. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Bergman. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey, son, hey, son. Okay, yeah, we're back. How is everyone? B- very well, I think. Yeah. Last I checked, yes. Yeah, everything's good. Doing good. <laughs> good. No one's got COVID. Mm. No, it's cold again in Germany, but apart from that, everything's good. <laughs> mm, okay. Is it any snow? Uh, I think in some regions, not here though. No. But I would like to just have spring now with with sun mm. and everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, I I know of a place where is where it's definitely colder. It's much, much colder than than in Germany. I'm pretty sure of that. (laughs) And that's Mars. Ooh, that's right. Yeah, you won that bet. (laughs) Oh, we've seen a couple of new photos and Perseverance and the other two, the probes, are doing an amazing job. So they are sparking interest in in planetary science, which is amazing. I mean, that will definitely boost the recruitment processes of ASA as well, right? Yeah. It's launching very soon. So be prepared. The recruitment process is launching on the 31st and it will be open for eight weeks. That's it. Yeah. Don't miss that window of opportunity, please. <laughs> I, I f- forgot to mention last time that I talked about this, that they are now open for applications by f- people with physical disabilities as well. Mm-hmm. Because there might be those kinds of disabilities that are still eligible for training and they can, they can still train them to become astronauts, which is right. absolutely amazing. So they're not discriminating. Okay, good. No, and that is a very first. So the European Space Agency is doing this as of absolute first. So this is another moment when it just feels so good to be European. Mm-hmm. However, I would love to go to Moon as well. As long as you can guarantee I get back... I would go too. Well, no one can guarantee that. I mean, well, you're not guaranteed to reach the moon either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> that makes me less eager to try out, actually, to apply. Yeah. yeah but, but I have to say that Elon Musk seems very optimistic about the future of Starship. Mm. You know, the, the thing that just Ex- blew up a couple yeah, of days ago? <laughs> that usually uh, explodes when you <laughs> land. Well, uh, that, that's the one he likes. Three out of three yeah. in the last three <laughs> attempts. All right. But that's how you make science, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And every time he tweets, like, what a success it was. But it is. It is a success. And, and we, we mustn't forget that developing a rocket and developing a space-faring vehicle, it's just, it's, it's rocket science people (laughs) (laughs) right right and this one was definitely an improvement on the previous ones because it did land did land successfully Mm. but after a while it decided "Ah, fuck it i'm gonna go with the others (laughs) (laughs) there there was a a a little bit of flames as was you know i don't know what's supposed to happen but as as an amateur when you look at that you you see the rocket going down and there's a beam of whatever plasma that it shoots down but then there's always some, some little extra flames on the side and I wonder is that supposed to be there yeah apparently uh, it is yeah 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 Yeah, it seems a bit random and then it explodes and mm, <laughs> yeah. maybe I'll take the next one when they did on the last attempt they did the turnaround phase yeah that was exactly what it was supposed to do uh. even at, at that point it was the landing that mm. kind of 
went sideways. They have to work on that. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, why I'm bringing this up is because the development is on the way to build up the rocket that will bring people to the moon and back. And Elon Musk says that it will be ready by 2023. Mm. And have you heard of uh, MZ, also known as Yusaku Maizawa? No. <laughs> He's a Japanese billionaire, probably. Ah, He's the guy who's bought the, the ticket. The tickets. For him and his eight friends or whatever. Yes, but he decided not to take his eight friends, but he opened it up internationally. He expects people from all over the world to apply for those seats. Mm. <laughs> so the whole thing will be covered by him, so you don't have to pay anything. But you have to convince him that you're the one that he has to take with him. <laughs> <sighs> That's interesting. All right. And it's open for everyone all around the world. So this is why it is relevant to our scope as well, because that includes European people. Mm. So uh, why don't you apply? Yeah. Well, have you? People could, could, could try both the European Space Agency and the moon and back. Thing. <laughs> so Yeah. Why not? Yeah, it's, I, I, it's the Dear Moon project. That's what it's called. Right. Uh, it seems to me a little bit crazy. I mean, inviting strangers like that. I mean, I, well, in some way, I appreciate the the sentiment, but it's a very expensive way to make new friends. I mean, going well, to I a bar I, and buy f a drink to the to the fellow next to you. That's fine. That's one way of making a friend. But buying a space a moon journey. You know, I don't know much about the guy, oh. but. My first thought was, okay, what is he compensating for? <laughs> I mean, I'm not claiming that, that he's looking for a, a, a actual friends there or trying to recruit friends, but it's a publicity stunt. It's something that, that is supposed to make him feel better about himself yeah. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. But I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? No, Who knows? I don't know. People are strange. Yeah. Some strange people ha have uh, been around in Stockholm, actually. Mm. Oh. I, I was very disappointed that with the uh, nut jobs that deny COVID and, and demonstrate against uh, the, the restrictions and stuff, that has now come to Sweden. And in Stockholm on uh, Saturday, there was uh, this thousand people demonstration that contained less than thousand people but they called it that so it, it was that was the only plus side there i think there were five six hundred people there but uh, uh not here as well mm. what the hell are people doing it also has the whole touch of the freeman on the land stuff with people claiming some of them claiming that we don't recognize the state of sweden we are uh, free people we represent the baltic uh, original tribe whatever stupid nonsense that they are inventing very very disappointed to see that happening here as well but we see it all over the world. I guess it was just a matter of time. Yeah. Yeah. So was it was it like a massive gathering of nut jobs from yeah. all walks of life? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There was three or four organizers, and they organized through social media, and people showed up. And and I'm sure they don't even agree with each other about <laughs> what the problem is. They just agree that there is a problem, and they want to demonstrate. And uh, some people were hurt. And I mean, there were six policemen that had to be cared for in some so it, ways. So it was even violent. Uh, not no against policemen. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it was. Uh, 
heartbreaking to see. Yeah. And something that's actually good news. <laughs> yeah, we need that. Yes. Is that Skeptics in the Pub Cologne is back. So we're still not, not back to meeting up in person. But for the fifth time, we'll meet on Zoom on the 22nd of March. And this time... Norbert Aust will talk about Informationsnetzwerk Homeopathie mm. and their five years of a regency. <laughs> mm, okay. Right. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Amazing. Norbert Aust. Yes. Now that is another amazing guy. Yes. Exactly. Norbert Aust. It will yeah. be in, in German, but yeah, everybody who wants to check it out should check it out. <laughs> Absolutely. We mm -hmm. will put the link, of course, in the show notes, but we'll also make sure that we have, I, I think it's already in the calendar. If it's not, uh, I will put it there before this show goes live mm -hmm. he's very entertaining very knowledgeable yes and he, he's a lovely person and uh well I, i love listening to him in english so in his mother tongue he must be even more amazing yeah he's <laughs> very eloquent yeah great <laughs> and has a very like very good dry humor so it's just like he's he's very cool <laughs> yeah absolutely recommend it okay one day i will Definitely have to learn German. Yes, for that reason. <laughs> to the level that I can understand people. Yes. Because there's so much going on in the skeptical movement in Germany that's worth doing it for. Yeah, everybody should just learn German. <laughs> yeah, don't say things like that. It, it will it will somehow... somehow <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, but, but German is not too bad. <laughs> no, you shouldn't just learn German. You should learn German and French and Spanish yeah, yeah, yeah. and Chinese yes, and whatever. Exactly, yeah. all the yeah. languages. <laughs> Swedish you could skip because that's a niche <laughs> you don't you don't really need that <laughs> yeah be like uh, Andre Rieu I recently got a video it's on YouTube where he plays with uh, the orchestra the waltz written by Sir Anthony Hopkins and he speaks absolutely fluent German and he's Dutch And he speaks Dutch, French, German, Spanish, Italian, English. I don't know what else, but <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, my God. Very good. Yeah, I love it when people can speak a lot of languages. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah. I would be happy with two more. Three, probably. Yeah, so I think I should Italian, brush up French. on my Dutch and on my Latin and on my Spanish. Good. And then I would good, good. probably be, be cool. Okay. Then I would be a really cool person. <laughs> <laughs> you are a really cool person. Oh, thank you. As, as you are now, Annika. Thanks. So. <laughs> you don't need the languages for that. Uh, but one thing that I, I would really love to learn German for is to read children's books and children's stories. A lot of them are originating from, from Germany. And, and, and I, I read on Snopes that there was a TikTok video featuring a story called Little Sucker Thumb. Yeah. And it's quite a shocking one. I, I mean, a children's story where a mysterious tailor comes in and cuts your thumb off. Ooh. If you can't stop sucking on it, that's which can basically be any child. I mean, <laughs> now that's brutal. I, I know there are weird and highly disturbing children's stories out there that have been in circulation for centuries, but this one really <laughs> surprised me. So, and especially that Snopes verdict <laughs> was that it's a real story. So what's up with that, Annika? Yeah. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> so the original uh, story is called Der Daumenlutscher. <laughs> Sounds good so far. Yeah, the, the thumb sucker. <laughs> okay. And it's out of a collection called uh, Der Strovelpeter, which mm -hmm. means like the Peter with shaggy hair, pretty much. And it was uh, written by Heinrich Hoffmann in 1844. And Heinrich Hoffmann was a medical um, doctor. And he wrote stories about misbehaving children who then uh, suffer tragedy. So the sucker, <laughs> little sucker thumb, <laughs> um, wasn't the only one. 
um, who suffered. Okay. <laughs> of course, this, these stories being from the 19th centuries make them highly politically and morally incorrect for like nowadays, but it's still pretty popular or not popular but well known maybe so not maybe during with children but with adults like if you're an adult in germany you usually know this story okay for example there's a friedrich he's torturing animals and then gets bitten by a dog and to the bone okay or there's a girl who plays with matches and then um, burns down her house and also dies in it in the fire oh my god yeah <laughs> Or a boy who doesn't want to eat his soup and then he just dies from starvation. So it's uh, pretty nasty stuff. But yeah, if you would ask around in Germany, like most adults do know the story. Yeah. And uh, like the story collection. There are a few more, but I left out the, the highly racist one. And yeah, it's uh, pr still pretty well known. Yeah, I think they were translated into Swedish. I I seem to remember stories like that uh, from my youth, but of course it it was as you said, it was well known. It wasn't popular and wasn't read to me as it was in the nineteenth <laughs> yeah. century. Yeah. So the best thing is still like in the in the back it says nice children will get a gift from from the Christ child from Santa. But ah, so it, it says in the back. <laughs> I'm wondering. There's there's an opera by Offenbach. Isn't the title of that the Tales of Hoffman? Isn't that about those tales? Uh, that's something else, I believe. I don't know. Yes, there is such an opera, but I think that's unrelated. Okay. No, it's different. It's something else. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Okay. Right. Thanks, Annika. I'm, I mean, that's an interesting cultural insight. <laughs> yeah. But for, for everybody, like, we never would cut off thumbs because somebody's sucking on them. So it just... Yes. It's a... Okay, I'm glad you told yeah, me that. I was it's, very it's worried. It's not a real-life story. It's not a report. <laughs> Right. And and please don't use Hoffman's tales as... Uh, Cautionary tales for your children, yes. <laughs> or uh, as user's manual for children. Yeah. Please, please don't. <laughs> uh, based on what Annika just said, no. Yeah. <laughs> it should not be the case. Don't. <laughs> okay. So, with all that, I think we, ha we do have a show to do here. So, uh, why don't we crack on with that? And, as usual, we start with finding out... What happened this week in skepticism? Yes, and this week, on the 9th of March 1934, a very important person was born, and that was Yuri Alexeyevich Gagarin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I hope I didn't butcher that too much. And he was a Russian pilot and cosmonaut and the first human in outer space. Yes. He traveled up there in his um, capsule Vostok 1 <laughs> mm -hmm. on the 12th of April 1961. And yeah, thus became an international celebrity and a highly decorated pilot and cosmonaut. On his travel up there, he saw that the Earth uh, was flat, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's where it started, right? Yeah, it all started there. Then he orbited the, the disc. <laughs> the pancake. <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> the pancake. <laughs> yeah. Um, sadly, he died on the 27th of March, 1968. So pretty young. He died in a plane crash. And interestingly, around this plane crash, there were also a lot of conspiracy theories. In the end, it was determined that, uh, no, there was no conspiracy behind his death. It was an accident. And as the, really the first astro-cosmonaut, he was yeah, an international celebrity, not only in the, in the um, USSR, <laughs> but also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So happy birthday to the late 
Uh, Yuri Gagarin. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And he was the one basically kickstarting the, the Apollo program. Yeah. Well, that wasn't his intention, though. No, no, no. He, he, <laughs> he wasn't involved in the actual project. Yes, yes, that's right. But uh, he definitely scared the shit out of the Americans. Yeah. And uh, the fact that the Soviets got a person up into outer space. Right. Yeah, and the space race, he was. Uh, that was a big step and a big scare for the Americans then. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, anyhow, that was a great thing. But the the conspiracy theories, it's amazing that, that, that someone got killed in a plane crash and then all the different conspiracy theories pop up here and there. It's amazing. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Anika. Thank you. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm very eager to find out what Pontus has got to poke the Pope for. Well, I guess no one can have missed it, but Pope Francis went to Iraq. Despite the threat of suicide bombers, despite of uh, the danger of drawing big crowds in the middle of a pandemic, and uh, despite that nobody wanted to sign his fraternity pamphlet that he was carrying around, he went anyway. I believe it was the first ever papal visit to Iraq. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a biblical country, after all. Birthplace of uh, Abraham. And isn't the paradise also there? Could be, not anymore. <laughs> they, uh, at last I once. checked, it's less than <laughs> heaven to live there now. No, I just remember the two rivers, I think. Yeah, th- you know, that's probably true, that there are uh, that kind of uh, associations with the country. So maybe uh, Francis felt that it was now or never. He hasn't been feeling too well lately and he's not getting any younger. Or maybe he was just fed up with uh, being grounded in his little palace. I think, to me, it's very irresponsible to do that, what he did. Uh, Especially for all the people who cannot help but feel that they have to risk going there to see him. Uh, It's being, you know, it's a a once-in-a-lifetime experience or or once in every 2,000 years, if you go by history. Some of Francis' sermons uh, in Iraq took place in crammed halls with poor ventilation, lack of effective protocols against the COVID-19. These are clearly a potential super-spreader event. Uh, I believe masks were supposed to be used, but in the pictures that I have seen, less than half of the audience wore them. Frankie himself was not a good uh, example. He wore a mask occasionally, but more often than not, and he was shaking hands with lots of prominent people. And he even met with the Grand Ayatollah al-Sistani, which I said last week wouldn't happen uh, because al-Sistani recently tested positive for for, uh, COVID. And I just assumed that that meant that they wouldn't meet. But... uh, No, they met and and Francis talked to him for 50 minutes with no mask. Now, Frankie has been vaccinated after all, but but still. Uh, And COVID didn't seem to worry him very much during the trip. The big risk with meeting um, Al-Sistani, he said afterwards, was that some conservative Catholics will see it almost as heresy to meet with such a prominent leader of Islam. And as he said, uh, uh, and I quote him now, Sometimes you just have to take a risk, end quote. (laughs) Okay, fine. And in a way, in his logic uh, that I don't agree with, uh, it makes sense. Because whatever the risk is, he doesn't have to be careful because God will watch over him. That's what he said about making the trip in the first place. He said, quote, 
I thought a lot about it. I prayed a lot over this. And in the end, I took the decision freely. It came from within. And I said, the one who allows me to decide this way will look after the people. End quote. So, uh, you know, God will take care of everything. Uh, so I can do anything. Mm. Uh, that's, that's his <laughs> reasoning. <laughs> that's not how you evaluate risks in life. Sitting around thinking and talking with your imaginary friend. And it's not about him. He's vaccinated, as I said, but he's taking risks with all the people that comes to meet him. And he will continue to travel, I believe, in the near future, isn't he, Andras? Oh, yeah. We are preparing for something very important here. <laughs> will you be in the crowd to greet him, Andras? Oh, absolutely. As I was in Cesena when uh, Susan Gerbic and, and, um, right. and I were there. No, well... Uh, our president invited the Pope for a visit, and it's supposed to happen at the last day of the International Eucharistic Congress, which will take place on September the 20th. Ah. But, uh, well, it still hasn't been confirmed by the Vatican yet, but it's all over the, the news no, but in Hungary. Francis said so in an interview. Oh, he did? Okay. That he would go to Hungary, so I think it's pretty much locked in now. I've got a speculation about why that, that is the case, why he was invited in the first place. Ooh, please. You probably read somewhere that Fides, which was a member of the European People's Party. Yeah, Fides is the Orban's party, right? Orban's party, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Fides was part of the European People's Party. And they were about to exclude the party, to expel them for Orban's behavior, basically. And, uh, well, uh, he didn't wait for that to happen. He decided to leave. You can't fire me. I quit. Exactly the same. <laughs> exactly what happened. <laughs> but there is a coalition. Well, a semi-coalition because uh, the party, which is the Hungarian Christian Democrat People's Party, is in coalition with Fidesz. But they've been running in the elections together for ages. So it doesn't really exist as a separate party, if you if you know what I mean. Uh. But they are usually useful for, for Fidesz for bringing the Christian votes in. And I'm pretty sure this is part of a, a move by Orban uh. to try to get around them and go on without them because they decided to stay in the European People's Party. Huh. So there might be a future divide between the two parties. And I'm pretty sure he wants to build up the Christian base as a very, very strong base for his own party so that in the future he will not need the Hungarian Christian Democrat People's Party for winning the election. Yeah. No, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for Orban to want the Pope to go to Hungary. But why does Frankie want to go to Hungary? I mean... That's interesting. That's an interesting question. You, you, you choose the, I would say, the least democratic country, at least in the EU, mm -hmm. if not if not in Europe, because we have Belarus and we have... A, but, but, but still, it's not the best... Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how what his thinking is. Well, it could be that Orban is outspokenly following the Christian values. I mean, not in deed, but, but in words, in rhetoric, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. he does claim to follow the Christian values and uh, try to build uh, the country into the country of faith and, and, and everything of that sort. So this could be the reason. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Or they, they offered him a bribe. 
Yes. <laughs> could be, could be. He, maybe he, they bail him out now because the Vatican has such poor finances. Yes, yeah. As you explained last yeah. week, yeah, of course, it could be, could be the case. Orban will just redivert some of the EU funds that he keeps <laughs> pocketing anyway. <laughs> yeah, see how long that will go. Right. All right. But if we go back to to Frankie and his uh, trip to Iraq, he actually learned something on this trip. Oh, did he now? Yes. He learned that there is something called women and that also that they are more courageous than men. Never heard of them. (laughs) His words. And he had to travel to Iraq for that. That's I don't know. They don't have them in the Vatican. Not a lot of them anyway. Yeah. yeah. All right. So this was his words, and and so again, when he tries to throw a bone to women, he wants to be this progressive guy. He always gets it wrong, in my opinion. Mm, He said, quote, women are more courageous than men. And that means that women are not the same thing as men. They are another species. They're not like men. When is he going to refer to people instead of men and women as separate entities? And Please, Frankie, recognize that we were all human. Some of us are courageous, some of us are cowards, some are good, some are bad. But it gets even worse, because this remark about courageous women was because he had learned about terrible things that had happened to women in Iraq because of the war, uh, or the several wars. I don't know if you counted as one or many wars there. Uh, He said that he was shown a list of prices for women, that is prices as is how much it costs to buy a woman. And that's terrible, of course. But to the point, when he said that he knew this, he knew this because it was shown to him by, quote, a woman on the plane, end quote. Uh-huh. Good source. <laughs> a, a woman. <laughs> a woman on the plane. A woman. It, you know, let me tell you, Francis, because I know you're listening. Her name is Eva Fernandez. She has a name. She was one of the journalists that you invited to travel with you to Iraq. (laughs) But he couldn't remember the name. He said, a woman told me. (laughs) It's so unusual for him to encounter women. So it's like for him to say, I saw a dog when I was walking. (laughs) (laughs) So Eva Fernandez is the name of this lady. I don't know much about her, uh, except mostly what I just told you. She's a journalist, she's from Spain, but I'm asking everybody who's listening to this podcast that if you remember anything from today's episode, you will remember her name, just to make up for that Francis couldn't. (laughs) Her name is Eva Fernandez, and she is a journalist from Spain. This is what you have to remember. And she's apparently a woman. (laughs) And she is a woman. Happens to be a woman. Yeah. yeah. And (laughs) as she is a woman, she must be terribly courageous because all women are courageous, according to Francis. (laughs) He has no idea what he's talking about. Uh, so frustrating. And I know also to round off this segment, I promised you an, ad- an abuse scandal in the Vatican this week, mm-hmm. but I think I've been talking too much already, so it'll have to wait. We'll save that for later. I'm sure the abuse will stay- still be there. And in any case, uh, I think uh, the trial is still progressing there. So we will know more in the future about that. Okay, Susan Gerbic, I'm afraid you will have to wait until next week. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she did specifically mention that she was looking forward to this. That's right. That's right. Piece of news. Yes. Yeah, that's just you teasing her. Absolutely. And and all the the other listeners out there (laughs) who cannot wait to hear the story. Good. Okay. 
So, thank you very much. And we are moving on to a little bit of a COVID-19 update. So, I'd like to start with a correction of something that I said on our last episode about vaccination rates in some countries. Uh, Thanks a lot to Gary from Israel for pointing that out. On the episode, I said close to 100% of the population of Israel and 60 plus percent of that of the United Arab Emirates have been vaccinated. Well, that was a very silly mistake on my part, (laughs) because at the source, which was ourworldindata.org, which is an amazing source of information if you're looking for data on anything, they did specifically mention that while the data shows vaccines administered per per 100 people, they did not correct for multiple doses. So that's quite obvious that it means that it doesn't necessarily mean that a hundred out of a hundred person have been vaccinated, but that's how many vaccines have been administered. Hmm. And out of that, a lot of has been the second dose of the same vaccine. And yet, I reported it simply as percentage of the population, which is obviously wrong. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, even we should have caught it because yeah, it's your fault then. Not everybody is scheduled for uh, a vaccination. We're we're not vaccinating children yeah. and uh, and pregnant women and and others. So it could never be a hundred percent of the population. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. But could you mention that because Gary was also kind enough to share a little bit of insight into the situation in Israel. Mm-hmm. So based on the data he shared that comes from the ministry of health different age groups are at different levels of course of uh, getting vaccinated but among those above 70 close to 90 percent have already received both their shots so that's still impressive yeah and in the the 40 to 49 age group it's around 60 percent so the numbers are still good right they currently sit at 102 doses per 100 people so much better than a lot of other countries right and with that, they are definitely on the right track, but far from having vaccinated the whole population, I totally concur. Correct. Especially when it comes to the younger age groups. Apparently, there's no plan for wide-scale vaccination of people under 16 at all. And those between 10 and 19 years of age are only at 11% when looking at a second dose administered. So that's quite low. And if you want to open up and really loosen the, the restrictions then you have to make sure that the the young people are vaccinated as well because they can be spreaders. But there are two other very interesting things going on there. One is that in preparation for the upcoming elections in the country, they are due in less than two weeks. The COVID regulations are being loosened, which is highly controversial in and of itself, but their anti-vax movement has a special local favor to it. You probably can guess that some very loud people are likening the idea of a green passport, which is a proof of immunization, of course, to that of the yellow star mm. that Jewish people had to wear under the Nazis in the Second World War. And there are protests going on that, that are fueled also by some religious leaders making all sorts of weird claims uh, about the vaccines, causing infertility and damage to the immune system and, and whatnot. So it's absolutely crazy and there's the obvious conspiratorial aspect as well which we see everywhere else in the world so not as shiny and cool as as i reported earlier (laughs) and again thanks for the clarification and and keep spreading the word of reason gary you're amazing thanks for for uh, getting in touch uh what else did you see the episode of the last week tonight with John Oliver about three weeks ago no i didn't no no it was titled the next pandemic Hmm. in short he very eloquently 
explained how we, if we don't want to be absolutely fucked in the future, we should probably learn our lessons from this pandemic here and now. Won't happen. <laughs> and that's the exact opinion of Dr. Mike Ryan, head of the, the World Health Organization emergencies program as well. But yeah, who cares, right? We just want to go back to normal. Hmm. Do, do we still remember at least what normal looked like? I mean, it's so easy to change things when change has already been made. So we don't have to go back to business as usual when business as usual has already changed. <laughs> so yeah. it should not be. But we still haven't seen the end of this very pandemic yet that we're currently in. And with the crazy race against time as, as new variants are popping up, like wild mushrooms, really, there's this general worry that some variants will just laugh at most of the vaccines and the vaccines will not be effective against them. And that is a real threat. In the meantime, there seems to be compelling evidence now that overdosing on vitamin D does not improve the outcome of moderate and severe COVID-19. I'm sure. Which is another blow to, to those who, who really expected that to be the big thing. So the faster we get everyone vaccinated, the better, obviously. But while some countries show an absolute incompetence in handling both the lockdowns and, and the vaccination programs, one year into this massive shitstorm, mind you, others seem to do quite well. And we still don't know. It will be only in hindsight that we will be able to assess what led to some countries being more successful than others. But tensions are definitely building up. And in the Netherlands, a small Dutch town have been shocked the other day by an explosive device of unknown origin going off next to a COVID-19 testing centre, smashing its windows. No injuries were reported, but it's still an outrageous act that was condemned by Health Minister Hugo de Jong and other cabinet ministers, as well as health officials. But the protests... The civil disobedience in some countries and some violent acts that we've seen are a good indicator that people are really fed up by now. And when this happens, bullshit, fake news and hysteria abound. So we are really racing against time here. Hmm. Yeah. So um, on that very positive note, <laughs> <laughs> I think we should move on to the news. Yeah, because uh, there are people who do fight against uh, anti-vax misinformation. Uh, L'Ordre de Médecins in Belgium, if you pardon my French, <laughs> also known as the Orde de Artsen or something like that. <laughs> uh, uh, it's in Dutch. Uh, that is an organization that you have to register with if you are a medical doctor who practices in Belgium. So they have a lot to say about... Uh, who gets to do that uh, and they can put uh, rules in order for Belgian physicians and um, that's a good thing I believe because now uh, this order of doctors have decided to take a stricter approach to doctors in the country who do not support vaccination against COVID-19 apparently some people see no contradiction between being a medical doctor and being against vaccinations the order of doctors will now investigate and suspend doctors who do not comply with re uh, recommendations or who spread misinformation about efficacy or of the safety of uh, COVID-19 vaccines. About these anti-vax doctors, the vice president of the order, Michel Denier, 
said in a statement, quote, I find it strange because in their training there is no place for these silly things and ideas that are not correct. Science is true, and if you do not assume that, you cannot work as a doctor. Well said. So it's sometimes best to just do some fact-checking and let people see that it's factually wrong. Yeah, and there is actually a new book out that fact-checks vaccinations, so that's really good. And Don't tell me it's in German. Yes, I ah. just wanted to say that it is in German. It's uh, called Faktencheck Impfen. And it's by Cornelia Betsch, Nicola Kurt, and Jan Ruder Aost. Oh, and you might know Nicola Kurt because um, she's one of the two people who are uh, pretty much leading MedWatch. MedWatch is this uh, page that mm -hmm. watches um, medical right. procedures and, and alternative medicine and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this book answers practical questions and addresses myths. And it's, yeah, it's about 160 pages full of information. So it's definitely worth a read. And I'll be very interested to read it once I'll buy it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm interested to read it once I know enough German to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so this was a book review of a book before we read it. Yes. But we, uh, yes, we assume that it's good. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, misinformation again. Um, several times in the past... Uh, Facebook has made statements about how they want to check for fake news and dangerous misinformation on their platform. And I guess they're trying and it's not easy, of course, because <laughs> the volume is huge. But it's also a big company and I, sh well, they have a responsibility. So to their help, they have contracted or, or made deals uh, with other actors all over the world to, to flag prohibited content. Remember, this has to be done in many different languages in the world. And Facebook is American, so they're focusing more on English, of course. So they have these all these collaborations, but for some reason, it seems to be hard to keep them going. Snopes was there at one point, but they stopped helping Facebook back in uh, 2019. Also, uh, the Dutch online newspaper called nu.nl, nu.l, I can't say that. You know, it probably sounds better in Dutch. I hope. Uh, uh, but uh, this newspaper, anyway, they they were at the time the only Dutch fact checker for Facebook, and as Snopes, they stopped doing that in in 2019. Uh, they had a disagreement with Facebook at the time because Facebook didn't want them to flag politicians who posted false information. Mm -hmm. Facebook said that that was to be allowed as it was a free speech. Thing, whereas new.nl said, well, you know, it's still wrong and we need to correct them if they're wrong. And so they had a falling out. Now, at the end of 2020, a French news outlet called Libération, they followed suit because of the rules that Facebook has set up. Libération has changed their business model uh, a bit lately, with, and so they have more and more paid articles because they want to make money as, or to f finance their activities. But Facebook doesn't allow flags on Facebook to refer to uh, closed material. It has to be open. So Libération decided they couldn't help out anymore. So different reasons, but it highlights how vulnerable Facebook fact-checking really is because Facebook is so dependent on, on third parties. The takeaway is that we should remember that even if Facebook say that they fact-check things, 
in many cases, it means that they have others do it for them. Yeah. And uh, the quality is very different, especially from language to language. There was a report last year done by Avas uh, who showed that 70% of misinformation in English was flagged. That's not 100%, that's just 70%. So it's something. But less than 30% of false information uh, in Spanish was flagged. And Spanish is the fourth largest language in the world and the second largest in the US where Facebook sits. So that just illustrates how, how hard it is. So they may try, but don't believe that Facebook are able to uh, fact check everything that people post. Mm. You know, but if you post a picture of a female nipple, then they will catch it, I'm sure. Yes, of course. Yeah, because the algorithms are there. Yeah. Already. Yeah. The nipple algorithms. The yes. nipple algorithms. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They are they, they were the first to be written. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't it fun? I don't know how it went. A couple of years ago, some Well, seeing nipples, yes it is. Well, that too. <laughs> but this was somebody had pictures of nude women and then they edited out the nipple and put in a male nipple instead uh, just to make sure that it was okay and i don't know where it went but it was a sort of a provocation towards facebook i remember well yes uh, and you, no, you, you couldn't really see the difference well you could see the difference but it was very small difference it was just illustrating the point of how silly it was <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Well, it's not always misinformation that is the problem. It's misunderstanding or misrepresentation of the facts as well. And this could be the case with electric vehicles. I've been longing to talk about electric vehicles on this show because I'm I'm fascinated by the uh, the simplicity of of the technology and yet how it has been a while that it it was trying to, to 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 gain, gain ground but now it is gaining gaining more and more ground but this is why electric vehicles so evs just like any major topic can stir up quite quite a bit of controversy over its effectiveness in reaching carbon neutrality because that is the goal right and while transportation is not the largest chunk of the the greenhouse gas emissions it still is an important part that that it makes and obviously, there are many who try to slow the ongoing transition to these EVs, so there are lots of different attempts to build distrust in them. We've all heard the arguments about how overall pollution is not reduced by going electric, because, first of all, manufacturing batteries is costly and messy. Uh, producing electricity is costly, and with the current setups, is responsible for a large chunk of carbon dioxide emissions. On both fronts, although there are elements of truth to these statements, there have been significant changes since the new advent of electric cars. So these are simply difficulties that need solutions to get over. And the changes are coming, so deal with it. But now there is this weird claim making rounds that battery electric vehicles, BEVs, are responsible for at least the same amount, but possibly even more, particle pollution than their combustible engine-equipped counterparts. And this was picked up by some major news outlets towards the end of last year. So Transport and Environment ran a story by written by Ona Krajinska that investigated the issue, which was further discussed by the European Public Health Alliance. 
Why the European Public Health Alliance, uh, you might ask? Because particle pollution is responsible for tens of thousands of premature deaths each year through respiratory illnesses and the like. So what is the case here? So what's the situation? So we are talking about primary and secondary particles. Primary particles are coming out of tyres, which are made out of vulcanized rubber, and uh, the brakes. And the brakes are the greatest source of primary particles. And uh, with regards to the tyres, there have not been many published pieces of information data that that are available on how do they compare. Uh, the argument is that the reason why electric vehicles produce more pollutants uh, coming out of tyres is because they are heavier. How much heavier are these cars? On average, uh, a large chunk of battery uh, that can power a car uh, weighs between 204 to 500 kilograms. So that's the excess weight that you have to count with. But as I said, there have not been many published articles on this particular topic. However, there have been a couple that can pay attention to the brakes and how the brake pads, as they get worn off, they emit small particles. How small are we talking? We're talking about 2.5 and 10 micron size particles, which are the ones mainly responsible for the respiratory illnesses that uh, that I, I talked about earlier. So that definitely affects air quality. And uh, the other thing is, the issue with this is that electric vehicles do have regenerative braking. You know what that is, right? I don't. <laughs> no, not, not exactly. Please explain. Instead of using the brake pads to slow down the, the vehicle, uh, what you do is you use the electric motor to actually slow down the rotation of the wheels. And as a result, instead of being an electric motor it will become a generator mm. that's cool and it will charge a little bit back to the battery right that's pretty cool yeah it can go up to 30 40 percent that you can save in the power that you use for driving a certain distance if you use the brake cleverly now this is why the brake pads are wearing off much much slower than with a combustible engine equipped car so that is a wrong statement. So that means that it cannot be responsible for more particulate emissions. The other thing is that th there are so-called secondary particles that, that are emitted, and those are being formed based on the material that comes out of the tailpipes. So even though with the catalyzers built in the, the pipes, you can reduce harmful material by oxidizing everything properly, like carbon monoxide can be massively reduced, but that still doesn't mean that, for example, nitrogen oxides are not coming out of the pipe. And nitrogen oxides can be responsible for building up of secondary particles that are of the same size. So overall, we can establish that battery-equipped electric vehicles are much better in terms of their primary and secondary particle emissions than their combustible engine-equipped counterparts. So we still don't know how much the tires contribute to these particle emissions, but the idea is, and the, the, the theory is, that it doesn't do that much. What we still don't know, though, is uh, how much we can actually save of those particle emissions by using electric vehicles. One thing is for sure, there are several 
published research pieces that uh, claim that an estimate of about 50,000 premature deaths per year in Europe are being caused by harmful pollutants like nitrogen dioxide. And that comes out mostly of the pipes of combustible engines, diesel and petrol as well. So, so much for electric cars producing more particle pollutants and uh, expect to hear more about electric vehicles because now that I started, (laughs) I will not stop. (laughs) Yeah, electric cars are really cool and it's a bit of another topic now, a bit of a turnaround, but something I find really cool is the placebo effect. (laughs) It is indeed, yeah. Yes, and there's a new study out that gives um, the most detailed look at the neuroscience of the placebo effect in the brain. So like the most detailed look yet, of course, but they um, wanted to find out yeah, what happens in the brain because a large amount of the benefit from taking a drug is due to a person's mindset. And they uh, wanted to find out how it's working because they still don't know that yet. The study was a mega-analysis and they looked at brain images in 20 studies of 600 healthy participants. So it was, uh, yeah, they had a lot of uh, people there. Mm. (laughs) And they uh, saw that the placebo treatment reduced activity in areas for pain signaling, as well as in motivational circuits, which um, makes sense. But they didn't note the subjective pain feeling of the participant, but they wanted to uh, see the brain reactions. So they looked at the uh, thalamus, for example, or at the basal ganglia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they saw that the placebo effect affects uh, pathways that construct pain. Mm-hmm. So they say this, what they found out is important for clinical care and um, drug development. But uh, they say there's also further ne- uh, research needed to really um, yeah, make sure that this is where it turns out. And I can just imagine that it's like pretty hard to, to do that research um, because the placebo effect in itself is, is such a hard thing to boil down to. So, um, yeah, cool study. And I'll be excited to hear more about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting read. Another thing that uh, we need to report on is um, something done by the amazing Good Thinking Society and the also amazing Richard Wiseman. Last year marked the opening of a new award called Good Magic Awards, which is a joint initiative by the Good Thinking Society and Richard Wiseman. It is given to people who use the art of magic to educate or are doing extraordinary work in the field as more than entertainers. The winner of this year's award was recently announced Uh, The judging panel selected James Green for his blog, Researching and Reporting Amazing Stories of Magicians During the Second World War. Some of those people were even involved in espionage and code-breaking, no less. There must be a lot of absolutely fascinating stories still unknown or unearthed, so this award will help James Green further investigate some of those cases, including some who have been captured and became prisoners of war. So... It's really an amazing story. And uh, in the announcement, they said, and I'd like to quote this, These inspirational stories will illustrate how human resilience and ingenuity can overcome adversity and how the underlying mindset is vital for dealing with negative life events. Well, 
I think this fits in quite well with the current situations we're in around the world. So hmm. big congratulations to James Green and thanks a lot to Richard Wiseman and the Good Thinking Society for this great initiative, the Good Magic Awards. Yes, we need some good magic. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. good people doing good magic. <laughs> and good mindsets. So yes. <laughs> that's the other thing. And good thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in good thinking, definitely. <laughs> and someone who um, have the same goals than the Good Thinking Society are the, um, the Swiss skeptics. And <laughs> mm -hmm. they actually changed their name recently. Did you know that? No. No. Yeah. The, so the Skeptiker Schweiz <laughs> changed their name to Forum für Kritisches Denken, Forum for Critical Thinking, mm -hmm. because they wanted to clearly distance themselves from Corona skeptics, or COVID skeptics, or climate skeptics, or other stupid skeptics, so to say. <laughs> and they they said they still have the same goal, but they just have a new name. What do you guys think about that? Oh, it's a, it's an old uh, debate, of course. S mm. Being a skeptic has negative connotations, mm. and it also is used by a lot of uh, deniers. We call yeah. them deniers. They call themselves skeptics. Yes. <laughs> so it's not, uh, it is a sort of a problematic word. My personal view is that we have used it for so long that it is uh, hard to change. And I think uh, if we change to something else, who says that that word will not be misused by yeah. others? So let, let, I, my, my thinking is let's stick with it while we can or while we have it and uh, let's make it be become something positive yeah having said that i mean kritisch denken i think is a good phrase too so um mm. all good yeah but the, the dilemma is is as you as you mentioned as well is is that you've already introduced an organization uh, with a certain name and then you change the name of the organization it's not it's 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 not always the right move But then, yeah, you have to distance yourselves uh, from from the silly guys. Yeah, and if you if you look at other skeptical organizations, there very often don't have the name skeptics in their name. Yeah, like GVUP or VOF, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They're still like the German skeptics or the Swedish skeptics, but hmm. they are not called the Swedish skeptics or the German skeptics. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I, I could understand it, but I totally also agree with uh, what what you guys said that it's like mm. it's it's hard to to change a running system, so to say. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it goes for them. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. all the best to them. <laughs> we should probably ask them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a couple should. of months' time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, that means that we have covered all the news that we have prepared for this week, uh, meaning that. The next thing to find out is who's been really wrong lately. Right, actually, this one, this week's really wrong could have gone to the tip that we got from Bob, who often sends us interesting short stories from Spain and uh, also south of Europe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he sent us an email about the protests that are apparently happening in Cyprus about, about a satanic eurovision song contest entry i uh, so it could have been them getting the really wrong not bob yeah yeah not bob no bob <laughs> uh, will get the really right he's <laughs> 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 right and our gratitude for keeping to write us yes absolutely absolutely very much appreciated 
But instead of going to Cyprus, this um, is from our friend uh, Edsard Ernst and his blog. And he keeps track of things for us. Not, not for us, but we, we use it heavily. Mm. Namely, the UK General Chiropractic Council, the GCC, that regulates the chiropractors in the UK. They have conducted a poll among uh, people who goes to chiropractors. It's actually shocking how many people do that in the UK. The survey included 1,002 UK adults, uh, which were supposed to be representative of the UK population. And 24% of them had received chiropractic treatment. That's much more than in Sweden. I, I think in Sweden it's, well, it's, it's not unusual like that, but 24% is a lot. Anyway, these people who had received uh, chiropractic treatment, they answered questions about uh, their experience in doing so. And as uh, Edward Ernst points out, uh, it is a boring document, this report. But one thing can be parsed out if you look closely, and Edward did that. Uh, if you read carefully, you can look at the section on, quote, communicating potential risks, end quote. There you can make out that uh, it is a top priority for most uh, that they most patients that is that that they are told about potential risks before they get any treatment and of course that's a good thing to know of course we want to know if there's any risk and we know that there are risks with with uh, chiropractic treatments uh, worst case you can get a stroke from uh, some neck cracking procedures uh, so you want to hear about this, and uh, indeed, the chiropractors have an obligation, according to their own standards, that they must give this information. There are some risks. According to this survey, though, 30% of the visits went ahead without any risks being communicated. The patients were not informed about this. And this is hidden deep down in the report. There's no indication that the GCC will do anything about it. So Edward Ernst put four good questions to them. Number one, as the GCC has long known about the situation, why have they not adequately addressed it? Number two, now that they are reminded of this flagrant ethical violation, what are they planning to do about it? Three, what measures will they put in place to make sure that all chiropractors observe the elementary rules of medical ethics in the future? And four, what reprimands do they plan for members who do not comply? Good questions, all of them. Mm -hmm. My prediction is, looking into the future here now, channeling my uh, chakras or whatever I do, uh, <laughs> I suspect that the GCC will do nothing because uh, there's no pressure on them to do it. And it's bloody annoying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and this, these, let's go back to alternative treatments always have risks. Uh, so do real treatments as well. But alternative treatments have risks without any benefits, really. There's no proven benefits or very, very loosely assumed benefits, and you still have risks. And also, I would say that even if the treatment itself is perfectly harmless, 
you always have the risk that people are seeking this instead of real treatment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a 100% risk that you lose your money <laughs> because it always costs money to yeah. do something, right? That's right. Yeah. So uh, for being unethical and negligent, the GCC or the General Chiropractic Council of the UK, they get today's prize for being really wrong. Very well deserved. Yeah. Oh, were they the ones uh, suing Simon Singh? I, good question. I didn't check. Maybe they were. I, I don't remember. Because there, there was... I, or there's a chiropractic association as well, maybe. Oh, it could that be did that. that. The British, yeah, I think so. The British I think Chiropractic so. Association, I think that was. Yeah. Yeah, this is the... Yeah, okay. This is the Chiropractic Council. This is more of an overviewing body. But I, maybe. We, we should look into that. Same quacks. <laughs> Same quacks. If it's quacks, like a quack. Okay, more on that. More on that. <laughs> uh, good segue, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. So thank you very much, Pontus. Thank And (laughs) that means that we are concluding the show. But before we go, as usual, we will come up with a quote. And that quote, (laughs) as we already hinted at, the one and only Douglas Adams, uh, who said this thing that is widely used in skeptical circles. And the quote goes, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, we have at least to consider the possibility that we have a small aquatic bird of the family honor today on our hands. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's so Douglas Adams, first of all. And yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we have to recognize quacks. <laughs> <laughs> and ducks. And ducks. And ducks. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. Very often they are not the same. So you have to separate the, your ducks from your quacks. <laughs> yeah. It's important. Exactly. <laughs> and by the way, Douglas Adams. Douglas Adams. Du- oh my God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so so Annika is the one doing the dad jokes in yes, this show. Yes, yes. I'm, yeah, the, I'm the dad exactly. <laughs> of, of this podcast. <laughs> you're half dead because you're so tired. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he would be 69 years old only yeah yeah so he died very very young yes and his birthday will be on the 11th of march which will be yesterday by the time this goes out but um, <laughs> it will be yesterday that's a very cool grammatical construction you have that, <laughs> that's actually a douglas adam phrase as well i think yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah read as many douglas adams books as you can but uh, i'd like to thank both of you annika and pontus for joining me this week thank you thanks a lot also, many thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Please keep doing so and read a lot of Douglas Adams. And until next week when we come back, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Bis dann. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. 
All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. And I'm eager to find out what you have to poke the pontus. Pope pokes the pontus. <laughs> okay, that's right. <laughs> we have a new segment there. The Pope pokes pontus now. <laughs> well, don't let any Catholic priests poke you, pontus. Nope, that's that's right. That's not the way to go. <laughs> I'm very careful around those. Yes. Okay. Do 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 do. Well, somebody has to do that. Don't do that enough anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>